Our text is Ezekiel chapter 2. We'll read verses 3 and 4 in a sermon I've titled, Hard Heads and Compassionate Hearts. Ezekiel chapter 2, beginning with verses 3 and 4. You know, Alabama's come out with the new right to life that, uh, law that bans abortion of a fetus that has a discernible heartbeat in sight of a homo sapien. You say, what, does it say that? Well, if they're going to call the baby a fetus, might as well call the mama a, a, a homo sapien. You know, at least that's consistent. You know, if they're going to use a scientific term for one, use it for both. Why not? You know? And if they don't like that, then make, give them both the same thing. You know, mother or baby or homo sapien and fetus. My dad used to call it a fetus, but, I, you know. But, uh, uh, but they've come up with that. Now, to be quite honest with you, they say at six weeks it has a discernible heartbeat. I believe life begins at conception. I, I honestly do. Uh, they don't become fully formed morons until they go to, to the voting booth or they decide things like this, you know. Uh, but, uh, but nonetheless, that's, that's about the way it is in the day in which we live. All right, Ezekiel chapter 2. And verses 3 and 4, uh, just to start off with. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do not send thee unto them, I do send thee unto them, and thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. Well, let's pray. Father, uh, that is the right thing. That is the right message, Lord. We go to your word, and we take it to the world and say, Thus saith the Lord God. It must be his word. And so, uh, Father, I pray that as we go into this message tonight, you'd speak to every heart that's in this auditorium. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So often I'll hear... Uh, a scriptural truth and a religious philosophy uh, that is mentioned and they'll be kind of down on it and they'll kind of change it and they'll say something about it and against it. And it's kind of like two trains. You know, they're on the same track and they're headed towards each other. And, and they're going to crash. Now, scriptural truth always beats religious philosophy. Always, 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 always. And, and eternity will show that. But that's exactly what's seen in our text today. Uh, the children of Israel, they had started incorporating things of the world into their worship, into their uh, way of life. And, and they tried to justify it. People today try to justify all kinds of things. Social drinking, uh, smoking, uh, even I believe that the drugs are the next thing they're going to say it's Okay. Just because of uh, the great word grace and liberty. And every time they do something, it's just like they did in the Old Testament. Every time they do something, they always apply grace or liberty to the flesh instead of the spirit being freed from the power of those things. And, and it's, uh, I've said that before, but it just seems like it keeps on happening and happening. But now as we look here, we're going to just kind of uh, see a lot of scriptures in our services tonight in, in uh 
concerning this passage. But we see the call of Ezekiel is the call that we have today as Christians, and particularly pastors have this call. And there are a lot of similarities. Again, you look at verse 3 and 4, he says, Son of man, I sent thee to the children of Israel, a rebellious nation. God is calling his own people a rebellious nation. And, and you can become that way. They have rebelled against me. They, they and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. They are imputed children. They're stiff-hearted. Now, God tells them all these things bad about them. He says, now I'm going to send you to them. <laughs> Do I want to go to that group? Well, he's sending them to them. And you're going to tell that group, thus saith the Lord. Now, Jesus did put us as lights in the world. But we must understand the world hates the gospel. They hate the word. They hate the standards of the word. They hate all of that. That's the world today. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, we're told, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, I don't think anybody thinks that adultery, adultery, those things, adulterers, adulteresses, I don't think anybody thinks of that as a good way. I don't think I've ever heard anybody say we have liberty to be adulterous. Okay, I don't think we've ever heard anybody say that. There is liberty to commit adultery. But God puts this sin on the same level as adultery. Well, you can say, well, yeah, well, it's not quite the same. I know it's not quite the same. It's worse because it's against God. But he says, you adulterers and adulteresses. How are they adulterers and adulteresses? Well, our salvation is likened to marriage to God. That's why. And so, when you're married to God, He's the love of your heart. So, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. In other words, that is to be actively opposed to God. That's what the word enmity is, to be actively opposed. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. When you decide, I'm going to have friendship with the world system, and I'm going to try to justify these things that we used to call sin, but now we say, well, you know, that's just some old legalists. Isn't it interesting? When we want our flesh to sin, when we want to do evil, we, we call it legalism for anybody that would say anything against it. Now, that's all right. I mean, go ahead and say that it makes you feel good, but it won't stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and, and you'll, with tears in your eyes, you'll be ashamed before all heaven, not just your children, not just your family. I mean all of heaven. When they realize, boy, I corrupted the word of God that saved me. Wow. Uh, I think of First uh, John chapter five verse nineteen, and we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Now, does anybody believe that God lies? So, if He says the whole world lieth in wickedness, guess what? The whole world lies in wickedness. God said so. And we've been called to be lights to the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, understand what he means by the love of the Father. We can talk about agape love, the highest form of a love that only God is able. Filio love. The Bible uses the Greek word filio about a strong friendship love, even a best friend love, a committed love. 
A Greek word the Bible doesn't use, but was used often in Greeks and, and, and in that era, was the word eros, an erotic, very sensual love. That's unfortunately the way people think of love for God today. And that's not the same. It's not a holy love. But they, they say that, oh, I love God. Well, they don't love him. If God says they don't love him, that what their love they are interpreting as love is that eros love. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Again, uh, liberty to the flesh. You can cry legalistic, but understand the day is coming where you're going to find out that that was one of the dumbest things that you could have said. That was one of the dumbest things that you could do as a Christian. Now, we are calling them to the light. A city on the hillside, Jesus said, cannot be hid. That is, if there's a light in that city, it's on the hillside. Everybody can see it. I remember uh, the first time I entered Jerusalem, tears just filled my eyes, but I can just remember, here we are driving up a dark mountain, then all of a sudden, we're in the lights, and here's this beautiful city, one that we've read so much about, and it just kind of stirs your heart so much. Well, that city cannot be hid. We're reminded of John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, and this is the condemnation that light is coming to the world. Remember, Jesus said, uh, in him was light, and that, that life was the light of men. So, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. If you'll follow him, John eight twelve. If you'll walk, follow him, you'll walk in light, and you won't walk in any darkness at all when you follow him. It's only when you get away from him, you begin to love the darkness. And so, and it's not the right kind of a love, by the way, that I should add to that. So again, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And so here they are. They have this love. They think, oh, this is it. This is great. And so he goes on to say, and this is a condemnation that light has come to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's first John, uh, excuse me, that's the book of John, chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. And so he says, uh, their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that, that doeth truth cometh to the light, and that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. In other words, he's talking about repentance there. Why do men not want to get saved when you have such a great salvation? The price has been paid. All you have to receive it. Why do they not want to come to it? Because they realize that in turning to Jesus Christ, it's just like marriage again. You might have had three girlfriends. You might have had five boyfriends. But when you get married, you turn from all of that to turn to one. They realize that. And they love darkness rather than light. And so they turn their backs on God. And, and that's what ends up happening. And so there's no repentance. They hate it. In verse 5 here of our text, Ezekiel chapter 2, he says, And whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, for they are a rebellious house, yet shall know that there hath been a prophet among them. <laughs> I, this is one of the most interesting calls of God on a preacher I've seen 
Okay. Ezekiel said, okay, the Lord said to Ezekiel, I'm calling you, I'm calling you to be a preacher to these people. They're going to hate you. They're very rebellious against God, so they're not going to like your message. But one thing, when it's over with, they'll know that a prophet of God has been with them. Well, well, when's it over with? When they're standing before God. Israel lost it all, and they had this prophecy that's written and recorded. And people will sit in a church, and they'll make fun of a message that calls us to repentance and faith. They'll make fun of a message that calls us to holiness and righteousness. But understand, understand, one day they're going to be ashamed, 1 John 2.28, at his appearing, even though they may be saved. Ashamed at his appearing. So keep it in mind, we must walk with God and call this world to repentance whether they want that repentance or not. And that was the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15 we read, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. The Bible teaches that throughout. Paul, in Acts chapter 20, verse 21, said he preached to all repentance towards God while sins against God and faith toward us, our Lord Jesus Christ when God became a man, when, when Jesus took on human flesh, that he might be the sacrifice for our sin. And we must trust and have faith that that sacrifice is sufficient as payment for our sin and that we'll be received in Christ Jesus. And that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the Bible tells us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, though, tells us something else. It's, it tells us there, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer, uh, suffer persecution. Not might. So they shall. You live godly. You live the way you're supposed to, according to the word of God. You will suffer persecution is what they're saying. Now, isn't that interesting? They shall suffer persecution. And then he says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so, you have people in God's house sometimes that just, they're down on everything. They're down on the church. They're down on, on doctrine. They're down on the things that we've stood for for so many years. And because it was in a part of God's Word. And now all of a sudden they're uh, down on everything, down on all of that. What's the problem? Well, as one has said, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And it's the heart that's wrong. And so uh, they've come in and, and those evil men and seducers try to change the church. That's what's why you've got a contemporary movement. That's why you have a, uh, these other movements. That's why you have the sin of, of contemporary. You have the sin of Calvinism, you have the sin of emerging church. All those sins come as a result of rebellion against God, against true and righteous doctrine. That's all the result of that. So again, as we look into our word here, the word of God, should I say, we, we need to understand that Ezekiel was given a ministry. He was to go to people that were rebellious against God. And we live in a world, we live in a country that's rebellious against God. They don't even want Jesus' name mentioned anywhere. The, 
there have been people that had the young, young te- teenagers that has become the valedictorian of their cl- graduating class in a public school and they thank the Lord Jesus Christ and they've cut off the microphone. The world hates God. They hate, even in our own country, they hate Him. And so, just like Ezekiel, God has given us a ministry. We have it as a local church today, as well as individual Christians. And don't fear what uh, man says, what man can do. Don't fear them. Look, I can tell you the weaponry of men who maybe claim to be saved, and maybe are saved, but they're not right with God. Let me tell you what their weaponry is. Because remember, our weapons are not carnal. So their weapons are carnal, aren't they? And so what are some of those weapons? Well, threats, lies, false accusation, anger, things that they may even believe is true <laughs> because they read it on the Internet. Isn't it interesting? You're supposed to go to the Internet, but you're not supposed to go to the person you're talking about. Where did that doctrine come from? Well, it's actually in Hezekiah 8.10. Now, again, that's their weaponry. But the weapon God has given us is the truth of the Word of God. Let the Word of God be your sword. Let it be your defense. It is the what God has given us to stand up for Him and accomplish the battle and win the war for Him. Yes, the truth of God was given to us in this battle as individual Christians. Again, look at verse 6. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee, and thou dwellest among scorpions. Be not afraid of their words, nor dismayed at their looks though they be a rebellious house. You know, when I think of what he just said there, he said, I've called you to go talk to them. But he tells us what their words are going to be like and, and how they're going to be opposed when they take the stand for Jesus Christ. They're going to be opposed by the house of Israel, the God's people, because they're standing up for Jesus. But you know what? The fear of man bringeth a snare. Ezekiel has to fear God more than he does man. And we'll see why in just a little bit. But their words are as briars, we're told. They're as thorns. They're as scorpions. Those are things that cut and sting to the very depths of our soul. You ever hear the term, if looks could kill? <laughs> you ought to try preaching one time when you're preaching something that's not popular. If looks could kill, their words, their looks are actually not against you. They're rebelling against God because you're carrying the word of God to people. They're not against you. They're against God. So verse 7, he says, and thou, and thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. They are most rebellious. At least Ezekiel knows what he's facing when he goes into it. He's going in 
knowing this is the case. He knows this is the situation. And so he says, you speak my words, but you expect rebellion. Now, when you're speaking God's word, and people are true believers and they really love God, they accept those words. They accept them. They don't sit back trying to find fault with them. And so as you give a witness and you take a stand for Jesus Christ, you speak his words, but you also understand that the world will hate it. Uh, that, that's in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, if you want to look at the New Testament church, the church at Sardis had a name, Thou livest, but art dead. Oh, man, thou, he, they have a name, they live. That's the happening church, boy. Everybody's going there. Everything's good that's happening there. God looks at it and says, that's a dead church. Oh, it's very alive in the flesh, but it's very dead spiritually. They hate the truth of a holy biblical preaching as much as the Pharisees hated Jesus Christ. And so you go to verse 8, and he says there, But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat that I will give thee. This actually compares to the next chapter. If you will, in the next chapter of Ezekiel chapter 3, let's look at uh, verses uh, 4 through 9. And he said unto me, Son of man, go, get thee into the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent unto a people of a strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange uh, speech and of a hard language, whose words thou hast, uh, canst not understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel, you know, this is his people. He's not talking about the world now. He's talking about his own people. They will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. God says, okay, they're hard-headed. I'm going to give you a hard head for Christ. They're hard-headed for the world. And he says, I'm going to give you that forehead that's just as strong and stronger than there. As an adamant, harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not. Neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Yes, Israel are called his people. But Ezekiel is also called to give them his words. And by the way, that hasn't changed. Even in this day, any man that stands in the pulpit is to preach the word, not motivational speeches to make everybody feel good about their sin and selves. And he lets them know, I will strengthen you. Now look, the Lord strengthens them when he does it, not before. I will strengthen you. They want to blend with the world. In John chapter 17, Jesus is in his prayer. This must have been important. The high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ. Such a depth into it. 
And yet he says in that high priestly prayer, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Wow. In other words, Jesus could see the world trying to get its way in the church and make it as fleshly as could be, even back there 2,000 years ago. When he made that high priestly prayer at that time. In chapter 2, verse 9, let's continue there. It says, And I looked, and when I looked, behold, and hand was sent unto me, and a roll of a book was therein, and he spread it before me, and it was written within and without. And there was written therein lamentations, and mourning, and woe. Let's go on to chapter 3. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest. Eat this roll. And go speak into the, the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat the roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I gave thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. And by the way, that's the way the word of God ought to be to every believer. It ought to be sweet. It ought to be sweet to your taste. And, and so he said, oh, it was just as sweet as honey. And, you know, the same thing happens in the book of Revelation. In chapter 10, verses 9 through 11, there during the tribulation, he says, And I sent unto the angel and, and said unto him, uh, Give me the little book. And he said, Give unto me and take it. And eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up that was in my mouth, sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. And he said unto me, Thou must prophesy again before many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. You see, the bitter belly is the result of the people attacking. Many times God's people. That happens in the Old Testament. Here we see again an example of it in the New Testament as well. Uh, God's word ought to be sweet to us again, as I say. Uh, and they'll hate it when we speak it. But our job is to tell the world. We're to tell the world the gospel to a lost and dying world. We're to speak righteousness to those that claim to know the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior. And we need to preach judgment to come. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verses 17 through 21, we read this. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And thou givest him not warning nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Yet if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness that he hath done shall not be remembered, but his blood will have required thy hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteousness that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, 
he shall surely live because he is warned, and also thou hast delivered thy soul. You say, what in the world does that mean? Well, the wicked man in his iniquity, that's the unsaved man. Every one of us have a responsibility to witness that gospel to the lost and dying world. And God puts somebody in our heart, God puts somebody in our path, and we refuse to witness. We refuse to share the gospel with them. They die in their sin. Their blood is required at our hand. So what does that mean? That means simply this. God had a reward, an eternal, everlasting reward for you, and it's lost. And their blood, as they're thrown into to the eternal lake of fire, is on your hand. But what about the righteous? Well, that's the same person. You warned the righteous. And if that guy doesn't turn from that unrighteousness, he continues in his false doctrine, continues in his worldly way, he will lose his reward. But if the preacher will not stand in the pulpit and warn the people of the way of the world and the things of that nature and the sins about us, and if he won't do that, that preacher also loses his reward. You say, can you elaborate on that? Well, let's just think of a few things here. Uh, in John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, Jesus said about the Holy Ghost, When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. That's the unsaved. Of righteousness, those who are saved, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. But the righteous still need to hear the word of God. And of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged, he's already gained the victory. Now, in other words, the Holy Ghost, being here, who will testify of Christ, this is his ministry in the world today. How does the Holy Ghost work? Through God's people. He works through the preached word of God. And so, we read, read in James chapter 3, verse 1, specifically concerning the pastor, Brethren, be not many masters, knowing... And masters, by the way, is teachers, teachers of the word, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Not sent to hell, but the idea of a saved man not preaching the word as it is to men as they are, is the Lord will take the reward that he had planned for that man. That crown that he was going to give him is taken away. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 Obey them that have the rule over you. Again, in that chapter you see it's talking about the pastor within the local church. And he says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, that they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Now we just read in Ezekiel that if they warn them and they still go that other direction, you've saved your reward. Preacher, you've preserved your reward. Christian, you got that wayward loved one? You've preserved your reward because you warned them. And here he's saying, at the judgment seat of Christ, there's people there, and there's a pastor, and he's not going to say to a pastor, for an example, with all these people in here, he's not going to start pointing people out, what would you say to them? What would you say to that one? What about this one? What about that one? No. He's going to look at the things in your life, and he's going to say, did you preach that? Did you preach against that, or did you preach for what they should be doing? And if I say yes, it'll be unprofitable for you. 
I will not lose my reward. And see, what, I've, what I have to do as a pastor, and what you have to do as an individual Christian concerning loved ones that God has put uh, in your way, is decide, is it more important to have an eternal reward that glorifies Christ as well as allows you to live in it? Or is just a short period of, okay, let's just not say anything to keep the peace. When you finally get up there, and you did the most damage you could have done to a loved one. Or a soul is in hell. Think about it. Because these are very, very, very real things. So again, we do this because if, if Ezekiel doesn't do these things, these people aren't warned. Their blood's on his hand. He's told they're going to be rebellious. They're going to be hard-headed. They're going to stand against you. Is that what hits us? Man, what are they going to say to us? Man, they're going to be mad at me. They, won't, uh, they have a family uh, get together. They're going to leave me out. They have my friends get together. They're going to leave me out. I'm not going to be a part of anything, and that's going to be worse. And yeah, you'll be out of it for 10 years, and then they all die and go to hell. And the other ones that get saved so as by fire go to heaven. But nonetheless, you're facing eternity and you'd compromised. How crazy can we be? Learn to fear God more than you fear man, even the fear of the relationship with your family. You fear God all the more. Remember Daniel chapter 12 verse 3. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever. How do people get saved? Through Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I'm accepted in Christ. I'm accepted in his righteousness. Therefore, with the heart man believes unto righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. When I receive him as my Savior, his righteousness is what makes me accepted in the beloved when I stand at that judgment day. They that turn many to righteousness. Is that talking about how many get saved? No. I mean, Jesus went through some, some places and nobody got saved. Paul got chased out of Athens. Hardly anything happened there. But Athens was a huge city. Not nearly as big. I mean, much bigger than, than say, Thessalonica. But actually, Paul turned more people to righteousness in Athens than he did in Thessalonica because there's a greater population that he preached to. And you see, it's simply this. You don't make a decision for anybody. Ours, we try to do the best way, present the plan of salvation, but really, their getting saved doesn't depend on how we present a plan of salvation. Their getting saved depends on their receiving Christ because it's a personal thing. And they that turn many to righteousness shall shine as the stars forever. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. And those that do it says, For what is our hope or glory or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye at the presence of our Lord and Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory. You're our joy. You know, you'll hear me say things about Calvinism. 
But Calvinism will say, hey, they're either, if they're elected to go to heaven, they're going to go to heaven regardless. If they're elected to go to hell, they're going to go to hell no matter how much they want to be saved. What does that do? That kills evangelism. That kills evangelism. And some people are Calvinists, still witness, and they witness quite a bit. But the overwhelming majority won't because they say, well, what can I do? I mean, they're headed to hell. They're going to hell anyway. They're headed to heaven. If, if, if they're let to go to heaven, they're going to go to heaven anyway. I mean, they, they teach. They teach that regeneration comes before you even call upon the Lord to save your soul. You're regenerated. That's, that's strict Calvinism. Regeneration. Before you're saved. No. You're not regenerated until after you're saved. You've received Christ as your Savior. Otherwise, you've got to say, well, the Word of God was completely wrong, and Mr. Calvin was completely right. I'm going to go with Jesus Christ. When he said, whosoever will, and he said it so many times, I believe Jesus Christ and his whosoever wills. Don't you? And so, we know that he is the one and only way. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, we see people that got a hold of that principle. After they'd been saved, Paul and his missionary team was there less than four weeks. Meeting with them night and day, trained them in the Word of God, got them saved, trained them in doctrine and in the Word of God. And it says that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what matter of entering in we had unto you, how you turn to God from idols. That's repentance, okay. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven. Whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Remember the judgment, the Holy Spirit, warn of judgment to come. Now, that church got a hold of it, and those people went out everywhere witnessing. And the missionary team says, we were going to come back, but now God can use us in other places because you've done the work. You've done the work. America was founded on biblical principles. Just like Israel was founded in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, perhaps not as strong as Israel, but Israel was founded in the Old Testament on the law, the word of God. And that was very, very, very strong. Well, America was built, uh, founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic. In other words, also, much of the things come from the word of God. And yet today, much in government is working against that. Worldwide, more deaths in this uh, last hundred years than there have been the previous 1,800 years for the cause of Christ. But media doesn't want to report that. I, I found it was interesting that when the Berlin Wall came down, there were they found there were quite a few churches that had met underground and were still strong in their faith. And... When they found said, uh, the media found them said, oh, how do you feel about, oh, we're so happy. You know, we met all those years, now we can meet. You know what, the media wouldn't report it back then about what they were saying, about what God did for them. Oh, that's not news. Oh, that's the good news. 
That's the good news. So that brings us to a question. Do we fear men in America? Do we fear people in our, even our own homes? Will we fear to take a stand before friends, before family, on the job? You see, silence without standing with uh, for the Lord and for righteousness is to stand with the other side, although you say nothing for the other side. If you don't stand, it doesn't happen. Now, you can say, for an example, let me just use this as an illustration. You can say, abortion is a sin, so I'm against sin. Homosexuality is a sin, so I'm against that sin. And we can name these things. And here comes a politician who says, I'm for those things and vote for me because I'm also going to help your pocketbook. And here's another guy over here that says, I'm against those things and I'm going to do all thing I can do to stop it and, and, and make America what it ought to be. And you might agree with the guy over there, but you say, well, I... I'm a member of this party over here, so I'm going to vote for him. You have missed it completely. Now, I'm not talking Democrats and Republicans now. I mean, even Republicans have log cabin people, you know, they're homosexuals. They're called log cabin Republicans. And and you got those in Congress that are complained to be Republican claim to be Republican, and they vote for abortion. So I'm not talking about voting for a party. I'm talking about voting for people. And that's just an illustration because we have even a higher calling in taking a stand for Jesus Christ and and on these various issues. It's our call. Many churches of this land have turned to the contemporary and to the emerging church. And we have the same call they had in the Old Testament. And we still have that call going on with us today. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. So many people miss this, and I I hope you won't miss it tonight. In Exodus 19, verse 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They talk to God for people and talk to people for God. So he told Israel, the entire nation, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Moses tell Israel they're called to be a holy nation. They're called to be priests. And they're going to take the word of God to the world. That's what they were supposed to do. Instead they say, oh, we're the elect. If you're not one of us, you're out of luck. And that was their attitude. And a lot of people have the same attitude today about their own selves. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we had the same call Israel had. See, God didn't change his mind. The call is still the same. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. But, verse 9, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God saved us, and we're to take that message to the world. That's what he's saying. 
Same call Israel had. We have that message to carry out. Now, I know people won't like that, but hey, I'm still going to stick with the word of God regardless. See, we're in the Lord's army, and that army's not a four-year stint. It's not a four-year stint at all. And so we walk in his word, and we stick with him. And we do his will, his way. We're in America. We're in America where TV, media, education, much of religion, politics, and entertainment are against what the Word of God stands for. They want to blend their theology with the philosophies of this contemporary and Calvinistic world. Listen, we're not going to do that. We've got to stand up for Jesus. We've got to speak out for Jesus. And you've got to decide, am I going to be a Christian with love for the Word of God? That I'm willing to allow Him to make my head as hard as, hard as flint to withstand the attacks of the devil and his people, while at the same time having a heart of compassion for the souls of those who oppose. That is our call. God wants you to have a hard head and a compassionate heart. Can't happen though if you're not saved. You don't know if you died today that heaven's your home. My friend, Christ died for you, paid your penalty. But eternal life is only in Christ Jesus. It's not in this church. It's not in your good works. It's not in your baptisms. It's not in your confirmations. It's only through the blood, shed blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection that you can be saved. And it's coming to him as your God and your Lord and Savior. And if you'll do that, he'll save you. Let's bow our heads, please.